Welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast, where we chat to people making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. And here is your host for today, Jeff Griffin. Welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast, stories of inspiring achievements and community contribution. Every week, we will celebrate an award program category winner or finalist. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know that Australia is in good hands. Together with our corporate partners and not-for-profit partners, Awards Australia showcase ordinary people from right across Australia doing extraordinary things. If you enjoy hearing the stories of our inspirational Australians, please subscribe, rate us and review us. We'd really appreciate it. Well, last year was one to forget for many but also made us stop and think about what is really important to us, family, friends, being kind and giving. And I hope 2021 will bring health, happiness and hope to all of our listeners. And speaking of what's important, I'm super excited to chat with this week's podcast guest. Our guest is an extraordinary young biologist who won the 2019 Scott Prince Environment and Sustainability Award, part of the Seven News Young Achiever Awards WA. Kip Prendergast is a native bee scientist and conservation biologist. And whilst I can't confess to know much about our native bee science, I am fascinated to learn more and I hope you all are too. Kip, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jeff. It's a um, pleasure to be chatting to you today about native bees and conservation. Yeah, looking forward to to learning more and I think it's fair to say that you've packed in a whole lot into your life so far. What gave you such a buzz, sorry about the pun, uh, about native bees and why did you decide on a PhD in native bee diversity? Yeah, so um, I get lots of bee puns so (laughs) I'm used to it. So interestingly, um, most people... I feel when they do a PhD on a particular topic, it's something that they've been passionate about their whole life. But until about five years ago, I didn't even really know much at all about native bees. I think like the majority of people, I knew there were honeybees. I knew there were maybe a couple of other bee species. I knew there were bumblebees overseas. Um, But yeah, I didn't really know much about native bees. And um, I was first introduced to native bees in Australia, I guess, when I was in, I think it was my third year of undergrad at UWA, and we had a a lecture about alternative mating strategies, and they talked about Amagilla dorsoni, which is one of our largest bees in Australia, and it lives in Carnarvon, and they have this really cool mating strategy where there's, like, big males and they fight Um, for mating rights and then they got small sneaker males who wait at the flowers for the females so that was sort of my first introduction to native bees and made me I guess it was sort of brewing at the back of my mind like there's more bees than um, honeybees but I've been like fascinated about biodiversity as a whole and nature I'm like a huge nature lover and I love animals heaps and like super passionate about the environment and conserving nature and so um, I did a Um, I did two degrees on zoology and conservation biology as well as English and cultural studies. And I did my honours on horses because I I love horses. So I've always been about like following my passions. And then I was thinking of PhD topics and I had um, all these ideas. I didn't really want to do one that was someone else's project. I wanted to design my own thing because I'm super like independent um and I feel like if you're going to spend you know four years of your life doing something it needs to be something that like you can own and that you love um and yeah I had all these ideas from my marsupials to long neck turtles and climate change um and then I went to a talk by a um, at the WA Naturalist Club because I, I was like, as I said, I'm super interested in like nature in general. And there was this um, old gentleman and he was showing photos of native bees using some um, bee hotels that he had made. And I was like, wow, these are so cool and they're so cute. And I went home and it obviously made a massive impression on me. And I started thinking like, 
you know, there's so much research on bees in agricultural areas. How about in urban areas? Like urban areas are a rapidly um, expanding form of land use change. There's also lots of remnant bushland within urban areas. People manage gardens. Gardens could be good for bees and all these like thoughts going through my head. And then I was like, honeybees, they're introduced. Um, You know, we know introduced species um, have negative impacts on wildlife in Australia. How might they be in, impacting native bees? I, I started reading everything I could, talking to like experts, and then I came up with this PhD idea. And then, of course, I needed to get supervisors, and that was another like long story, long journey, and getting funding. And then, yeah, it's just um, become now like a massive part of who I am in my life. Yeah, that's the, the long story. It's, well, it's very cool, though. I love it. Um, and can you tell me, well, we all know, as you mentioned, about European honey bee that provides honey but also provides a nasty sting if, it gets on, if you get on its wrong side or you get yeah. on its way. What are the main differences to our native bees? What would you consider the, the key things for the average person like me that would distinguish a native bee? Okay, so, well, you're right, um, honeybees are much more um, aggressive than our native bees. So I was just doing a survey two days ago um, and a honeybee decided to sting me on the stomach, (laughs) which was not fun. (laughs) Um, Fortunately, I was out in the bush so no one could hear me swearing my head off. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, our native bees, um, the majority of them can sting um, but it's only the female so no male bees can sting because they don't have a stinger now although the majority of native bees can sting they won't unless you like physically grab one whereas honeybees they will sting you if you come close to their hive or if they just don't like your face which seemed to be the case with the one that just (laughs) got under my shirt and stung me um uh, so um yeah, the, the native bees also, when they when they sting you, um, their sting stays intact, whereas with honeybees, when they sting you, their sting um, breaks off and so they die. So it's, like, not good for you or for them, but um, it's a, a evolutionary strategy to defend the colony, which is their, their main thing, which is another thing with native bees and that most of them don't live in colonies. So if you see a big, like, comb of bees or big colony it will almost certainly be the european honeybee and the native bees most of them are solitary so they they don't live in in social groups um our native bees they come in a whole range of sizes um and a whole range of colors and um some of them aren't even furry um but yeah not many of them are yellow and black so are they mainly smaller than the honeybee yeah, most of them are smaller. Um, as I said, they they can be as small as just over two millimetres to bigger than a honeybee, about three centimetres. So Amygdala dorsoni is one of the big bigger ones. But, yeah, I think the majority of them are um, smaller than honeybees. But, yeah, there's a huge, huge variation. Um, there's, like, there's 2,000 species, so it's it's sort of hard to say this is, like, a this typifies a native bee because it's just such an incredible diversity, which is what I love about the native bees. There's such a huge diversity and you can answer so many like ecological um, questions with them. They can be indicator species of particular habitats and, um, you know, they're, they're sort of like key players in, in ecosystems. Very fascinating. What's the main purpose Oh, that's an, an interesting question and I when when I hear questions about purpose I I think it's you can't really ask what's the purpose of a species because it's quite teleological so you know species obviously weren't created or designed and so they don't really have a purpose like no humans don't even have a purpose we make our own purposes but if you can say like what sort of role do they they play in ecosystems? Well, that again, that varies a lot with the native bee taxes. So we've got some that are specialised on particular flowers, and so they could, they can be very important in the pollination of those flowers. Some are really, even if they're not specialised, they're very good pollinators due to their behaviour or their body size or where they carry the pollen. Then we've got some bees that. Um, are actually not very good pollinators, um, 
but I, I think they're really important in terms of just showing the diversity of, of different life history strategies. Um, we've even got bees that are kleptoparasitic, which means they their common name is cuckoo bees, so like cuckoo birds. They don't forage for food for their offspring and don't make their own nest, but they lay their eggs in the nests of a host bee and um, then the baby bees hatch out and eat the provisions and the larvae of the host. So they they don't really because they don't forage for their um, their offspring. They're they're probably not good pollinators, and you know they can have negative impacts on the host. But due to you know evolution, they wouldn't um, ever cause the extinction of their host because it would mean the extinction of of them. So there's this balance. So that's the sort of ecological roles that they have. But I wouldn't really say that any have a purpose per se. I hope our listeners are already starting to get a, a feel for your passion um, for native bees and, of course, biology in general, which is so important to us as a race but uh, as Australians to understand the value of our um, native bees but also native creatures, uh, flora mm. and fauna. You created a Facebook group, Bees in, in the Burbs. Uh, is that still going and what were you aiming to achieve with the members in the group? Yeah, so not long after I started my PhD, I became very, very aware of how unaware people were about native bees. There's still lots of people today that think that honeybees are Australian bees and that's that's all the bees there are. And um, even people that are aware of native bees, there's not much information available um, especially when I first started my PhD on like evidence-based ways to conserve them, um, how to get accurate IDs. When I started the Facebook group, I called it a bit because so at first it was quite local and it was the aware of native bees, but also um, I needed um, people to um, offer to survey their, their gardens as part of my PhD it's 2021 now, so yeah, four and a half years or so that has been um, since I created this group. There's now, I think, 8,800 members or something like that, um, maybe a bit more by now. Um, so it's clearly like, you know, blossomed and it's now called Bees in the Burbs because it's it's Australia-wide and there's even international members um, and um, it's not just in the burbs, but um, I did a poll about a week ago about changing the name, but people loved the, the alliteration of bees in the burbs. So it stayed bees in the burbs, um, even though it's not just the burbs now, burbs being short for the suburbs. Yeah, I've now got citizen science projects there um, to look at um, bee hotel use, um, um, also when and where people see bees in Western Australia, sort of like an ongoing long-term monitoring project and I share information and ID um, photos of bees for people. Um, there's, you know, at least 10 posts, I think, about every day. So it's very active and I spend a lot of time on it. Now, in addition to the Seven Years Young Achiever Awards, you've received numerous other awards too, including Fly High Pollinator Support Program, Graduate Women WA, Mary Walters Bursary, the Ecological Society of Australia's Outstanding Outreach Prize, and you're also a Fame Lab Australia finalist. Can you tell us about some of these awards, what they were for, and what you were able to achieve as, as a result of winning the awards? Yeah, so the, the pollinator um, support one was a really interesting one. So Flow Hive, they're a company that um, makes... Um, hives for honeybees and um, they've got a like special honey extraction method and it's really um, I guess opened up beekeeping for people because it's a lot easier to extract the honey and I've got an an interesting relationship with beekeepers you could say because um, the honeybees are an introduced species and I have been researching the impact of this introduced species on native bees because the honeybee industry as an industry is very important to Australia for honey because um, most of our native bees don't make honey and of the 11 species that do, it's only small amounts and there's none of those in southwest Western Australia. And honeybees are also super generalists. They're introduced species so they can visit um, 
it, you know, exotic crops and they're very abundant, they can be managed. So from, from an industry perspective, they're very important. But then for um, Australian flora and fauna, not so much, especially not if they go feral. So it's about um, managing the industry as a sustainable industry, I guess, like any sort of agricultural industry and manage, realizing that keeping honeybees isn't saving bees because um, it's it's like saying that keeping chickens is saving wild birds. That's exactly the sort of comparison. But um, they were the flow hive is really good in that they recognize that yeah, there's like there's a difference between honeybees and native bees, and they wanted to give back to the broader community. Um, and they forward some projects, and you know we'll shortlist twelve, and this is a global thing, like twelve across the world. And then of these these twelve, we are going to get the community to vote for the ones that they want. Um, so mine was shortlisted, and my project was DNA barcoding bees. And so in Australia, um, it is amazing how bad our bee taxonomy is um, for, a, for a developed country. Um, our like the taxonomy of our bees is actually very poorly known. There are so many species that are undescribed, or they they're not put in like a, a phylogenetic sense, so we don't know how they're related, um, or they were described so long ago that the description like there's no images. You just have to try and figure out like what a paragraph is like the the way that we describe bees has evolved and improved a lot over like the last century. There's there's a lot of work to do on bee taxonomy. And one way that we can help with this this issue of bee taxonomy is um, DNA barcoding. So all species are related through DNA because we evolved through a co- from a common ancestor. Um, and when uh, a species evolves into two and diverges, they um, end up being independent lineages and they accumulate genetic differences. And so if we like DNA barcode them, we can um, see like what species are different. And if there's like a, a specimen that has a unique barcode, we know that's a, a, a new species or a different species. Um, so it's this really um, exciting genetic tool that we can use to complement the morphology. That's what this this project was was um, using um, DNA barcoding to help with the the taxonomy of native bees. So that was the project. So that um, I got a grant for that, and that's been great. And the bees have been barcoded. Most of them have been, but we're still waiting for results for some, because you know with COVID, um, the the barcoding centre is can is in Canada, and so there's been all these delays, unfortunately. Um, but uh, we've already had some, like, you know, some of the bees have been barcoded and there's been some exciting results, including, like, confirming um, males and females because they look very different. And so unless you actually see them mating or see them emerge from a nest, you don't know whether, like, if you catch a male and female of an undescribed species that they're, they're actually the same species. So it's been really exciting to associate um, males and females and so there, there has been some some progress there already um, and then with with fame lab that was um, a really great experience because you know there's there's science but there's also science communication and communicating science I think is now more than ever so important um, in an age where there's endless information but not all of it is accurate um, and there's so much pseudoscience and so much, um, you know, conspiracy theories and, and um, you know, it has a very negative impact on, on the world. So we really need to communicate science effectively, engage more people in science. So FameLab is a competition for um, scientists to describe their research in three minutes and, um, you know, trying to distill years of your life, the intricacies of um, of your science down into three minutes is actually very, very challenging and doing it in a, you know, a way that really engages the public in a fun way. And so that's what FameLab was. And my final speech was about Honeybee Native Bee competition. And then um, the semi-finalists, I um, did a different speech on um, the importance 
of um, bushland remnants versus residential gardens for bee conservation. So they were two sort of like um, separate strands of, of my PhD. And um, yeah, the, the final finals was really a great experience because we had a pre-COVID, we had a BBC presenter, um, Dallas Campbell, over from the UK to give us um, two days of coaching. Um, a really great ex- to, um, I guess, engage such a, a broad audience. And I mean, I'll admit, like, I love performing. Um, I'm currently um, rehearsing for, for Fringe Festival, which is um, a festival like um, arts and, and circus. And I'm a circus performer. And there's something about getting up on stage in front of an audience that's really, really exhilarating. And yet yeah, doing it, um, communicating your science in that sort of atmosphere, um, it was at the Heath Ledger Theatre, like, you know, this, on this grand stage. It was really, um, yeah, really exciting. Absolutely amazing. I mean, I'm, you've packed so much, as I said earlier, into your short life already. I'm a bit embarrassed about what I've done with mine. Your knowledge is supreme and to have been involved in all those things that you just talked about would have been extraordinary experiences and uh, to pack your three your life into three minutes uh, i guess is like a, an elevator pitch for a, for a salesperson but um very important i think to be able to do that in terms of being able to educate people in a short period of time so i think that would have been really valuable for you how was uh, being nominated for and then also for of course winning the seven news young achiever awards how did that help you in terms of your promotion of what you do did it, for native bee communities, did it, did it help at all? Um, I think so, like, especially in the sort of, like, the broader um, WA community because before that I think I was at a stage where lots of the sort of the, the bee people knew how I was but um, sort of engaging with people that, you know, wouldn't normally be interested in, in bees and, like, that sort of extra reach of, of people that wouldn't really think about the environment per se. Um, so it was, yeah, really, really valuable, I think, in um, raising awareness about, about native bees with, like, probably the people that need to to be aware about it the most because, you know, um, otherwise you're sort of, like, already, it's called, like, you know, preaching to the, to the choir, already sort of, like, talking to people who already share those interests and values, but you know, drawing in those those extra people and and raising the profile of of native bees in like such a prestigious event. Um, yeah, I think it was it was definitely very yeah. Preaching beyond the converted and converting more, I think, is uh, so important. And hopefully, we can do that to uh, for, through this podcast as well. Such an important topic and issue for us all. So uh, make sure you. Get onto Facebook and like Bees and the Burbs, but also, and we'll talk a bit later about how people can follow you and learn more about connect with you, Kit, because your work is so important. And nominations are still open in some states for the current Seven News Young Achiever Award program for 2020-2021. So would you encourage our listeners to nominate someone they know and why would you? Well, I think, you know, there's so many young people doing so much for um, the environment per se, but we do it because we love it. We have a passion. We want to make a difference to the world. And, you know, recognising these individuals, I think, is, like, really, really wonderful and, you know, showcasing their their research to, yeah, the broader community. People don't look for accolades. You know, young people get out there and, as you said, they want to make a difference. They want to make change. They don't do it for acknowledgement, but we all appreciate getting a pat on the back. And beyond that, it can further promote the work young people are doing and, in your case, further expose the value and importance of what you're doing with native bee communities and so on. So super important for young people to be promoted for what they're doing in the community and how others can value-add or benefit is super important as well. So for any of our listeners who would be interested in nominating someone, they can go to awardsaustralia.com, find the uh, Young Achiever State that is relevant to them. Of course, the podcast goes across Australia. So anybody can nominate and 
because it's so important that our young people are acknowledged. People like you, Kit, are making such a difference in the community and it's a real driving passion for me and has been for over 30 years to be able to acknowledge people doing extraordinary things and uh, that has driven me for all this time to continue this program and to continue to make a difference. Even during COVID times when we had to do all our all of our award programs online last year, Kit, it was rather different, but uh, unfortunately we didn't get to meet people in the flesh, but it was still really important to acknowledge people in that way. So you've, you've published a lot of articles and you've written a book, which I think is really cool and important, Creating a Haven for Native Bees. And Annette, our producer, was talking about this to me earlier. Can you tell us more about uh, what the purpose of your articles, but most importantly, can you tell us about your book? Yeah, so um, I've written lots of articles um, for various magazines as well as scientific articles. I finished off 2020 with um, a bit of a, a high, which was which was good for an otherwise not great year in that articles, which was a chapter of my PhD thesis except and in addition to you know the, the scientific articles um, I, I wrote a book um, a couple of years ago and it started off um, called um, Bee Hotels for Native Bees because um, bee hotels are something that can be really good or they can be really bad. Um, they're essentially structures that um, you can use to create extra nesting habitat for cavity nesting bees. And I was using them for my PhD studies to study nesting um, behaviours of native bees and I published a couple of like scientific articles on some really neat observations, um, like including the first records of a bee that collects Banksia fuzz, so like Banksia cones, when the flowers drop off, they get this brown fuzz. And I was collecting it and putting it in its nest, and it was like this the only bee that does this. And it was like a really interesting observation. But bee hotels are also great for um, making observations of native bees and providing them with extra nesting habitat, especially in areas where trees have been cleared, because that's what they, they nest in in nature trees with little tiny holes in them. Now, unfortunately, there's lots of companies that have seen that bee hotels are popular and they haven't consulted with people that work on native bees at all and have just created these structures that look nice but don't do their purpose. And so I wrote a book on how to actually make bee hotels and about the bees that use them because people putting up and, like, no bees are entering them all, like, will, will the bees bring me honey so it, it's clear that they there's this lack of knowledge about what these structures are for and how they should work and so I wrote that book and then I I realized there's more gaps in um understanding in terms of what flowers to plant for native bees so part of my research I spent hours and hours recording all the flowers at my sites and all the flowers that the bees visited and didn't visit so I had a really good idea about what were the best flowers for our native bees? And if you just Google flowers for bees, you'll get ones for honeybees mainly and they're exotic flowers. And like there's scientific reviews that have shown exotic flowers are contributing to, to bee and insect declines and, you know, various other like negative impacts. Uh, I wrote this book and then I, I retitled it Creating a Haven for Native Bees with additional information about other methods that we can all do to help native bees. Because recognising that, especially nowadays, not everyone has a garden, not everyone has the money and the time to look after a garden, like, you know, especially people that are sort of in my age bracket, like lots of them live in apartments and they, they don't have a garden, but they still want to help bees. So there's other things that we can all do, like the most important things, prote protecting native vegetation, reducing our impact on climate change, so going plant-based with our diet. Yeah, this book is about, you know, evidence-based ways that we can all make a difference, but especially like the bee hotels and the flowers for our Australian native bees. So that's the book. Um, and, yeah, it's um, it's been really popular. I recently sold out of the hard copies, but I still have an online e-copy and I'll probably um, be printing off another batch maybe uh, in a, a couple months' time. I might, like, update it. I'm hoping... So my, my thesis, I submitted my, my PhD thesis in August and it's still under examination. So I sort of want to wait till it's 
exam and I get my doctorate so I can say by Dr. Kit friend of God. <laughs> so that's that's sort of the why I'm waiting to print up another batch. Yeah, I think that's uh, probably a good move. And I know Annette's got one of your books on order, so she'll be pleased to hear that the next batch is coming up, uh, hopefully not too far down the track. She's very much looking forward to to getting your book. But there are, people can get it online, you mentioned. Yeah. Buy, buy a copy online. There's an online copy, so it's um, an ebook, and that's probably, you know, in terms of um, it's, well, it's cheaper, but also, you know, um, reducing you know, paper um, postage costs. So it's it's a good option as well in terms of thinking about climate change, um, postage, airplane travel. You know, if it's just online, then you cut those carbon yeah. Well, it's immediate too, as you said. You don't have to wait. So yeah. I think uh, that sounds like it makes good sense. How can people get the book? Um, they can get it by emailing me. Um, my email address is kitprendergast21 at gmail.com. But there's also a Facebook page and you can message me through there as well. And that um, that page has the, the book title on it so you can see what um, the book title looks like. And, um, yeah, like as I said, B Hotels, they, they definitely do work if you make them well. Just yesterday I spent like 15 minutes photographing a little mega chili orphans in one of my B Hotels. I just posted the photos on Bees and Burbs today and it's just gorgeous. Thing. It's got this like flame-coloured fairy head and it's got red eyes, like bright red eyes. So really, really cool bee. Get on to the Facebook page, as we've said a few times now. Seriously, people, we've got to, got to do this. So important. Get the book, Creating a Haven for Native Bees online ASAP. Uh, just a question, another naive question. How important is it for us as the average person in the birds to do our bit to create um, opportunities for native bees to flourish, whether it be in a bee hotel or an appropriate one, which we can learn, I'm sure, from your book, or just planting the right flowers? We all think, oh, our little bit won't be enough so but how important is it oh it's really important because bees are in the burbs and that's like when I when I set out to do my PhD study because it was like new ground as I said it was a project I designed myself I had no idea I was like geez like what happens if I go to people's gardens and I spend three hours there every single month um, over spring and summer for two years and I'm just sitting there like not not saying anything like you know I can definitely think of worse things to do than sit in the garden but <laughs> in terms of like study your results then it would be a bit disappointing but there are bees all around the burbs and I know not just in Western Australia even though Western Australia does have like heaps of native bees in the other cities um there there's bees and so they're there and that's the, the opportunity for us and, you know, there's lots of variation among gardens and how good they are for native bees. Let's make our cities not sort of like homogenous cities that you could be in any city in the world, but like keep that flavour of Australia in our cities, in our gardens with the native flowers and our native bees are there. And if we do that, then our, our native bees can continue to to flourish. And, you know, there's there's benefits to us because then they'll pollinate the, the flowers in our gardens. You can have native bees visit your garden and your garden can be like, home for them um and yeah keep keep the the native vegetation around and um rather than have sort of like my my i guess dream is rather than have like cities with bits of native vegetation and then all these exotic gardens have it more like the the city is sort of like the patches within the bushland rather than the bushland is the patches within the city so like green the cities so that they they become you know habitat and we're sort of like making a habitat in in the bushland that that is the city yeah, yeah i think it's a good goal for all of us absolutely Kit, you're so passionate i've mentioned that several thousand times already but what drives you to keep doing what you do um yeah, I'm just like a 
a naturally, I think, really passionate person. I'm really determined and I just, I love, I love nature and I love biology and, yeah, like my whole life I, you know, I'd rather watch David Attenborough documentaries when I was six rather than watch, um, I don't know, like cartoons or something. And, you know, I, I used to just read fact sheets on, on species and, you know, in my spare time read like science articles and I, I'm just always like fascinated about how nature works and evolution and biology and ecology. So I guess that's, that's part of it. And just being out in nature, there's something so, so beautiful about going out in the bush and being like part of like that that wilderness like it feels like you're as an Australian like feels like you're your home and and that's where you're you're meant to be and just the sights and the smells like it's yeah it's really beautiful and it's it's so sad I think for for people like you know you in in, in Victoria that you know when you're in lockdown um you you're stuck in you know your home and it you can't really go out and experience nature as much as, as you used to. Hopefully, um, you know, COVID will be gone soon and then people can go out and, and experience nature. And in Western Australia, I feel like because the border closures and there's been this, like, push, it's called, like, wander out yonder, like, it's about, like, experiencing the country and the landscape and the wildlife and that's what makes places special. Um so yeah, I guess that's that's my passion, my just like love of nature and the environment and wanting to do something like meaningful with my life, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're certainly doing that, absolutely. And uh, I do hope that you'll be able to take lots and lots of people on that same journey with you because it is valuable, it is important, and we have a lot to be proud of in Australia. And if Australia is very multicultural, and uh, in terms of what is fixed about Australia is it is our flora and our fauna that we can all be proud of mm. and um, we need to do our bit to ensure that stays strong and uh, available to us in urban areas as well as regional rural communities. How do you stay motivated? You know, you're so passionate, you're doing so much. How do you stay motivated if you're feeling low or things like going according to plan, you know, you're so passionate about native bees and biology and when you see others not maybe doing their bit or actually degrading those uh, things that we should hold dear, how do you get out of your ruts or, and I'm saying you do, but how, how do you stay motivated in that regard? Yeah, so it can be, like, really depressing. I guess part of it is, like, shutting off from from the negative social media and also the great thing about like being a PhD and a scientist and stuff is you get to sort of be in your bubble of like-minded people and then you go out into the world and you're like oh <laughs> but uh there are some like some brilliant people out there like lots of brilliant people doing the right thing um and yeah so part of it I guess is just like yeah my love of nature and and I'll just go and like if I'm feeling sad or low go for a walk and I have like I have pets and pets like such a big part of my life and they're so beautiful because they never judge you and they just like connect with you on a different level so my dog um she's very dear to me and my birds and I currently like hand raising a baby lorikeet um and that was like it was found and it was you know fallen out of the nest or something and so I had to like hand feed it every you know couple of hours but it's like so rewarding getting in touch with nature is definitely like my motivational thing well it's not a bad thing to be passionate about doing what you're doing keeping going to you know to do more and more but don't burn out and I think what you said I have a dear friend Christina Chia she balances she's such an amazing person a volunteer she but she connects with nature at every opportunity, whether it be walking, you know, she's always so appreciative of everything around her, particularly native, native Australia. She loves it. She mm. connects with it and that helps ground her and I take a lot from that. And it really is what you're saying too. 
connecting and understanding nature and what it does for us and how it gives to us and how we need to, in return, give back to nature and be more conscious of what we do and how we do it and how that impacts. What's something, just changing tact a little, what's something we might not know about you? For you know, people that know me know it, but like for, for, for listeners that don't, um, yeah, I guess the I don't conform to like the, the stereotypical image of a scientist. I think that's really important for especially younger people when they think especially of entomologists, right, as... Um, I guess the, the stereotypical image of an entomologist is like an old spectacled man in a cardigan. <laughs> um, not that I have anything against old spectacled men in cardigans who are entomologists or people that fulfill that, that image as a whole. But yeah, so, you know, I'm a circus performer. I, I always like, you know, dress how I want. Um, and it's usually like, leggings that are colorful um and then like a t-shirt or that has like designs of bees or whatever on them like it's funny because there's so many times that people like when they they see me that oh I didn't expect you to look like that I even did some research in Tasmania and I I came to one of my study sites I was studying um bee visitors to um apple trees that so the, the pollinator visitors and um I got out and the lady was like oh and like she knew that I was coming to survey her, her orchard for bees. And she was like, oh, are you, are you one of the backpackers looking for work? And I was like, no, I'm actually the scientist that's coming to um, study the bees. And she was like, oh, I didn't realise you were going to look like that. And I was wearing like a, you know, like a, a bright jacket and, yeah, leggings, as I said. Like the, the leggings are so comfortable and practical. <laughs> Colourful's good. Yeah. Colourful's great. Well, it says something about the person too. I think it's a good thing. I've uh, seen a photo of you, of course, wearing a very bright uh, bee outfit. Yeah. Bright leggings. I loved it. And your beautiful dog that you had with you. The other thing is uh, you mentioned a little bit earlier and just a moment ago that you're an acrobatic circus performer. I find that quite fascinating. Can you tell us? A bit more about that. How did that come about and, and where do you perform? Yeah, so when I was younger, I did gymnastics and I loved it. Um, I'm I'm a small build, so that works well. I have good flexibility. But then um, my parents, they thought it was a, a children's sport and they're like, you know, when you're young, like you can't pay for lessons because I didn't have a job, I didn't have money, and they're like, no, it's a children's sport, you're too old for it. So I had to stop, um, and that that made me very sad. And then I guess um, a couple of years ago I was like, hey, I'm an adult in terms of age at least, um, maybe not <laughs> maturity, um, <laughs> but um, I'm an adult, I can do what I want now, I've got a car, I've got money. Um, so I went and found an adult gymnastics um, place and it was always the highlight of my week and I think as adults it's so important to be able to play and you know keep active like keeping active is so important for your mental health and well-being and circus um like one of my best friends is a circus performer um so that's her, her job and um she she also studied mental health and part of part of her her research was just how important you know circus is and part part of circus what's also important is you know in society we're sort of told to I guess conform but circus is about like recognizing those things that make you different and that make you a bit weird and and then embellishing on them and and emphasizing them and yeah it's about playing and connecting with people and becoming aware of your body and your boundaries and pushing those boundaries as well so um, I think circus has also been a really important part for me and gymnastics, um, just generally keeping active in keeping me motivated and keeping going. Um, and then, yeah, so my my friend, she just last year, um, she created um, a troupe called Neuro Circus. So it's about, you know, circus, but also that, that neuro, neural aspect and yeah, she invited me to because she knew that I, I still have those gymnastic skills. 
um, to be part of it. And it has been such a wonderful experience and, and getting to perform. And um, we've got Fringe Festival coming up, which is um, Fringe Festival occurs across the world, I think. But it's um, you know, a celebration of the arts, um, especially circus, but also comedy. And it's also um, being, it's called Fringe because it's things that are a bit on the fringe, a bit different, a bit unique. And it's a, it's a great um, celebration of that. And so we've got a performance coming up and our performance is called 80s Mixtape. So we're doing acrobatics and circus to Let's Get Physical by Olivia Newton-John. So uh, I, I'm so sick of that song by now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's, that's my um, circus. Um, so I'm relatively new to it, um, but it's... It was really good because we started training just after I submitted my PhD and submitting my PhD, it, it was actually very, very scary because not only was it, you know, submitting it out for examination and like the fear of, you know, how will it, how the examiners, you know, value my, my life essentially, but also it's like a loss of identity because the PhD becomes so much of your life and then you submitted it and then you're like, great. So now I don't have a job. I don't have any money and I don't even have my identity. Um, <laughs> so being able to go into having that extra sort of circus identity was really, really useful. Do you have any words of um, wisdom or encouragement for our listeners? Um, yeah. So everyone can make a difference. And I think that's part of the great thing about native bees is that or even biodiversity in general, because as I mentioned earlier, simply, you know, going plant-based in your diet, you can cut your carbon footprint by 50%, which is massive. And so there's a lot of of scary things in the world happening at the moment um, and people feeling like, especially if they're in lockdown, that they can't really do that much um, in terms of what they used to be able to do in terms of helping out the environment. But, yeah, we can all make a difference. But also... My other word of advice is to follow your passions. Like it will be so rewarding. I can't imagine doing something that I would hate. And, you know, doing, you know, what I do, there are like negative aspects like ticks, for example. I hate ticks. Balance so much happier and just doing something that you love and keep active. Go out in nature. It makes a huge difference to your overall um, mental and physical well-being. So those are my sort of... Fantastic. <laughs> you talked about your PhD. Hopefully we'll be coming to a conclusion once it's been fully evaluated and hopefully that's very soon for you. What's uh, next for Kit then? I know you talked about you know, it's a bit scary what's, what could come next, but what would you like to be next or what do you see as being next? Mm, so I would, I would love to get a postdoc looking at the effect of fire on bees, um, wildfires as well as prescribed fires. I've put in some grants. Um, two of them weren't successful. I'm waiting back on another one. Um, there's just like, yeah, not much money going around. Um, so ideally I would love a postdoc. Um, at the moment I'm doing some surveys for DBCA in um, some nature reserves and for some of the local councils and bushland reserves around Perth, which is absolutely lovely. That's the sort of goals, you know, continuing to do research on how we can conserve native bees because um, there's there's just so much, so much out there that we don't know and discovering where bees are, what, you know, what their nesting biology is. Um, the, the taxonomy, as I mentioned, is, is really poorly known in Australia, so working on that. Um, there's there's a lot of work to be done. It's just getting getting funding, I think, as is always the case for a lot of environmental science. Yeah, well, I wish you well. Where can listeners connect with you online to find out more about uh, you and our native bees? And, of course, I know you've got your book that people can can purchase online and uh, connect with you on Facebook? What other ways can people connect and follow and uh, discuss how they can make a difference with you? So I do have Twitter and my Twitter handle is bbabet. Um, so 
B-E-B-A-B-E-T-T-E. And um, then I've got a research gate, so research gate, Kit Prendergast, and that's got um, where I upload my publications and um, if any of them, like, you can't access them, then just email me and I'll be, I'll, I'm always happy to send um, PDF copies of any of my, my scientific articles. Well, I certainly um, encourage people to buy that book to get onto the Facebook group Bees and the Burbs as well, which I'll be doing. I know Annette, if she's not already, our um, producer will be doing. Is there anything else you'd like to add in closing, Kit? Uh, just to save the bees. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a pretty important plea uh, for all of us to understand. I hope we've all appreciated that a little more, uh, the importance of our native bees. Talking to you today, Kit, um, I hope everybody's all enjoyed learning about uh, Kit and Australia's native bees and how important they are to us and to, of course, really our, uh, our flora and, um, and that impacts our fauna as well. So Kit, it's been a real pleasure to chat with you today. Hope everybody's in and keep inspiring. Thanks, Kit. Yeah, thanks. Uh, well, you take care. It's been a real privilege to chat to you and I wish you every success. Keep us posted on what you're up to. I hope you enjoyed today's interview as much as I have. We would love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you won't miss an episode. Join us each week as we talk with ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. Did you know that Awards Australia is a family-owned business that proudly makes a difference in the lives of those that make a difference for others? And we thank our corporate and not-for-profit partners for making our award programs possible. Do you know someone that's making a difference? Or maybe your business might like to sponsor an award. Contact us through our Instagram page, inspirational.australians, or head to our website, awardsaustralia.com. It would be great if you could share this episode with your network, because who doesn't like a good news story? And please rate and review us. We would really love to hear your thoughts. Until next week, stay safe. And remember, together we make a difference. Thanks for joining us today on the Inspirational Australians podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and have been inspired by ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. So it's goodbye for another week. Remember, together we make a difference.